You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello there and welcome to the show. Stu Goldsmith here. I am very proud to be bringing you this episode with Emma Willman from South by Southwest, recorded live at the Creek and the Cave, which is a lovely club in Austin. Uh, and uh, I'm very grateful to them for hosting us. Emma Willman is a New York killer. She's one of those comics who is just she comes out swinging and um, she's so funny and so warm and genuine. And I first, when, when she was offered to me for the podcast for South by Southwest, I had a quick look at her and literally fell in love with her material and her delivery from the first couple of clips. She's huge on TikTok and on socials and what have you. She's very committed to her sort of YouTube output. So if you have the chance before listening to this, watch a bit of Emma Wilman's gear so that you know who we're dealing with here. I just, it was, it was such an easy it was such an easy yes for me. I was like, oh, yeah, fantastic. And as we will discover, I can't remember if she mentions it in this episode. She had a similar experience of she's a bit of a, a kind of um, kind of not self-help, but like comedy development junkie, as we will discover. And I think she just discovered this podcast about a week before she was asked if she wanted to be on it. So happy coincidences all around. We're going to talk about her totally magnetic material uh, and her angle on gender and sexuality her origins in comedy with an extremely unusual approach to managing her from one of her teachers. And we'll talk about ADHD, hyper-focus processes, and some really insider stuff on her social media processes as well. All of that to look forward to. No extras on this one, but you can support the show at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to get ad-free episodes, support the show, and get extra content from every show that has it, including some exclusive insiders Q&As that were on Zoom. They're very exciting as well. So uh, without further ado, here's Emma Wilman. Who is dressed exactly like me. He, he told me I had to do this, otherwise I couldn't come on. Um, thanks so much uh, for coming to the show. And thanks, yeah, thank, thank you, you guys all for, for coming. being here. We appreciate it. We didn't realize anyone was going to be here because yeah. this was a last minute thrown together thing. But you're all clear on the fact that this isn't going to be funny. This is a, a long, drawn out, boring, dry conversation you about comedy process. This is, that's how I start every show, actually. Yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> so tell me, tell me. What should we start with? Tell me about South by Southwest. What's your relationship to the festival? Okay. You guys ready? All right. Um, My relationship to South by Southwest, I came here for the first time last year through a comedy club in New York called The Stand. They were doing a show for a TV network they were starting. Okay. I don't really know what happened with that exactly, but I did the show. I flew in from Omaha, did the show, and then I left early the next morning. I ran into the comedy booker of it. Then, who I'd met before at different festivals, and we chatted, and then he was like, you should come back next year. I said, I'd love to, and then I came back this year, and I've been here a couple days this time, which has been lovely. Yes, great. And how is comedy treating you at the minute? 
Because one of the things I would like to do, we were having a, a fascinating conversation backstage, and mm. I would like to try and replicate the intimacy of that conversation, despite Absolutely. the fact that there are people here ordering drinks and so forth. So uh, a, my kind of uh, introductory question with a lot of comics, if I see people in a green room, is like, how's comedy treating you? Feels like a nice, open kind of a question. Sure. How's it treating you? How's it treating me? You know, all right. <clears throat> Good. This is what we want. Good. <sighs> I, you know, I don't quite know. I, I don't think I'm ever gonna say good. Okay. I think if I ever say good, then either I've just gone. To me, that would be like a, there was either I'm having a total mental breakdown or I've stopped doing comedy. But I think that for me, sorry, for it to be going good, you'd need to have stopped. Is yes. that what you said? Okay. I don't think I will ever say in specific to comedy good because to me, comedy is like. Of such a fleeting thing that you can never really, really grasp. So even if it just, there's nothing that I would consider where it's like, but I, I'll think of it like this. Also, as I mentioned to you one-on-one, -on -one, this is the first podcast I've done since I've stopped taking my ADD pills. So yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm just so, gonna, I'm just going to briefly declare an interest there. I am very recently diagnosed with ADHD. Oh, really? I have yet to be titrated, uh, which means that's the process whereby they work out the appropriate medication. So I I'm not on any, and I've never taken any. Well, cheers. I'm super excited. Here to, we go. Yeah, yeah tell me all about it. Um, that has definitely played a part in comedy, for sure. But how comedy is treating me, I just don't think I would ever... I think of it like this. I'll think of it like, you know, like I do love show business, and I love comedy. And, uh, but when I complain about comedy, it'll be like, I'll think of it like we're at like a, in a sex dungeon, and I chose to walk down there, and then I'm complaining about getting smacked. But it's like, but I chose to be down there, and I'm choosing not to leave. So my complaints about comedy are all like in the context of it's an honor and it's a privilege, and I love it. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. H how yeah. is it treating me right now? I'll tell you right now, Stu, not so good. Okay. But I'm not. But I'm always. But I say that to say I'm always gonna say that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. So. You know what, what you've I done mean? There, that's, you've done a disclaimer about like we're not digging holes. I'm, I'm not very a lucky. I'm very privileged. Yes. I'm not a reliable narrator about it. You know. Like okay. I. I always think of it. There's always something you could change or turn it into or something more to write about or something. Like there's just always something more. But that's part of what I like about it. Yeah. Yeah, the fact that it's never finished. It's never finished. And I mean, also, it's like, you know, comedy, I think of as synonymous with my comedy career, but I'm thinking of just as comedy overall. It's all right. <laughs> but, you know, a constant... I'm trying to be more positive. I'm trying to be more positive. Okay. Okay, so, and I think we should... I, I would like to give this some context as well. Yeah. I don't know how many people uh, who will go on to listen to this podcast or perhaps people in this room sure. will know the kind of your, your stature as a comedian. You're a very successful comedian, by which I mean I think you're funny. Those are the only parameters I appreciate I that. <laughs> like, I've seen enough of your clips and your sets on Late Night that Thank I'm like, you. oh, fucking Emma Wilman, awesome. Yeah, it'd be great to talk to her. Okay, well, you know what? Let me sell myself a little better then. I should have... So, uh, comedy is going good. It really is. I'm going to be in a movie with Bobby Cannavale and Robert De Niro called Inappropriate Behavior coming out. And then this year, thanks, I appreciate that. And then uh, this year, this year, thank you, thank you. I have started selling tickets because of online stuff. And that yeah. is an honor and a privilege. And I love like getting to like go out and perform for people that have come out to shows. And I love that. So it's really, honestly, let me, I'll rephrase it. It's going great still. That's great. So now that we've established yeah. it is materially going great. Now, sure. tell, now tell me with that in mind, now tell me about why you're not in a great place with it right now. I'll tell you this. I mean, but I'm for, and also remember, I'm always going to say that. 
so. Yeah, yeah. But I feel right now, I feel like so... Bo- I, I have been writing a bunch of new material, and I'm always like really hard on myself about that, but there's so few glimpses of when I really do feel free on stage. Like, yeah. the last time I had that, I was doing a show, I think it was like... You know, and in New York, you'll do so many sets a week, and then there's just these like glimpses of when you actually feel like we're all really feel in the moment, and I'll say something new, and then I I feel like that is so few and far between recently, and so I started seeing a therapist because I think I'm spiritually and emotionally blocked up, and it's been prohibiting my writing from being more honest. Okay. So I'm hoping that that undoes the funk. Okay, good. Well, put a pin in that. We'll come back to therapy. I want to ask about the the number of times you're getting up a week in New York. Like, okay. So I think it's broadly understood in the UK, the circuit is very different, different situation. You might, if you live in central London and you're really going hammer and tongs, you might get up seven, eight times a week. What did you say was hammer and tongs? Hammer and tongs. <laughs> what is that? How do is, that you... is that a Britishism that I've stumbled across? You know what? These people are British. They're familiar with hanging, uh, hammer and tongs. Yeah, well, like just going at it hard, like you're oh, in a yeah, forge. Oh, yeah, hammer and tongs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so... It's interesting. I sometimes, particularly now that I've moved out of London, I've got two children, I'm on the circuit circuit a bit less. Whenever I hear people, oh, I'm in New York, I'm getting up three times a night, I always assume that there is a kind of a consistency of quality to those, to that stage time. And so I'm sort of, perversely, I'm kind of excited to hear, oh no, I'm still chasing maybe the same number of moments of glimmers of, oh, fuck, this is, the, this is the thing right now. Right. And now I'm back to, okay, now this is grind and grind and grind, and there's another glimmer. Right. So in New York, you do, the stage time is amazing. You have to work for it for sure, but once you start sending in your avails, which is like when you start like being in at the clubs and like book there, then you can get a rhythm down for sure. So I'll usually do, let me, I'd say probably I'll do anywhere from like two to six spots a night. Okay. If it's the weekend, that's when I'll, you do the six and you do, it's like 15 minutes set, 15 minutes set, 15 minutes set. But for me, when I feel like if a show goes well, it's actually less about whether or not the audience is how it actually goes and more about if I do something new and I'm in the moment with it. Yeah, because yeah. if the show goes really well, but I haven't done anything new, then I just feel like such a loser. That's. I'm just going to take advantage of the fact that there are human beings listening to this who are not necessarily comedy professionals. To me, that's that's clear. I feel like, oh, great, that's like being a level five comedian. Mm. To me, when you realize that, oh, how well it goes isn't necessarily connected to how well it goes. Totally. That, that's something that people might not recognize. You might One might assume that, oh, great, free standing ovations or whatever. You know, it's a huge, huge applaud. It's, right. you know, standard. I think you and I were both up in the uh, free standing <laughs> ovations per 15-minute set. And now they don't know that I'm being dry. Um, uh, but no matter how well it goes, like, the idea of, like, oh, that was great, and people are patting you on the back. Fuck, you smashed it, you crushed, you destroyed. But actually, internally, you might be going, yeah, but I didn't discover anything. Totally. And I try to be, now, I'll just take the compliment and be like, thank you so much, I appreciate that. But I used to be like, ah, I didn't do anything new. And then people, if they're not immersed in comedy, they're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Why, why have you ruined the praise? Why have you ruined Because yeah, also, yeah. I think people... F- like, I didn't know that comedians repeated themselves. I remember so clearly the moment I figured that out. I was in Boston, and I was watching this comedian, and he had talked about going to the grocery store the first time I saw him. And then the second time I saw him, he's I was just at the grocery store. And then the third time I saw him, he told the same story. And I'm like, okay, either this guy is always at the grocery store, <laughs> or he's telling the same story a lot. And that's when it clicked for me, like, oh, this is a language, and we contextualize the relevance of what we're saying by saying it just happened or whatever. Sure. So I'll forget that not 
that everybody doesn't know that. So if sometimes if someone says good set, and then I'm like ah, I didn't do anything new, yeah. and they're like it isn't all new, then yeah, you're like, right. ah, no, right, right, right. It's, it's, it's a whole thing, you know. Let me just do, I just want to drill down a little bit more into that idea of doing something new or discovering something. Mm-hmm. Like, can you give me an example from a recent show in the last week or so where you had one of those moments where you have that sort of internal satisfaction of you know, what was that? Was it like a different piece of phrasing or a different piece of timing or a different beat or like adding a new tag to a joke or stumbling over a new thing that makes you go, oh, that could be, that's the the first bit of a thread that could be a bit. Yeah, when that happens, it's so, it's like, feels like a moment of clarity and it feels so gratifying and hopeful. And I do try to now not have my self-worth really tied to this, but it feels like, just a moment of, oh, okay. It's I, it's a little bit like I would imagine it being like, still got it, you know? Like you're yeah. like you're like me been married for 45 years, and then someone like gives you a little wink, and you're like, oh shit, like you know what I mean? Like yeah. So that's what it all that that's what it feels like for me. And it, what it was was I was on stage at Stand Up New York, and I had done a couple shows that night, and I hadn't done anything new, and. And I felt really weird about it because I saw a comic at the show right before that. And he was like, good job. I hadn't heard any of that stuff. And then I was like, this fucking guy, you haven't heard this stuff. I've been doing it for two years. <laughs> and he was, I didn't say that to him. I was like, thanks, man. But that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. And then he, and I was like, oh, it wasn't really new. And he was like, I haven't seen it. And I was like, well, you haven't been watching then. Then I went up to stand up New York and I was like, I got there and it was a, it was an independently produced show. They had a bunch of comedians on it. The audience was tired. Like they, I think they, the show had started at eight and it was like almost ten at this point, And I was going on last. Beaten. De- the audiences really seemed tired out. And then I went on. Pop, pop, pop. Got a couple. You know, people were responding. And then I felt encouraged by this one woman in the front row. I said something about my mom being really uptight, waspy, old school New England. For some reason, that really connected with her, and it was like egging me on. And then I started saying all this other stuff about my mom that I had been thinking about, but I had never really expressed. Yeah. And I remember going home because I texted my girlfriend right before I went on stage. I was like, "Damn, I have to fly out early. I should have not done this show." Yeah. And then afterwards, I was like, "I'm so glad I did that. That was so productive. I got to start going to stand up New York more." And then I also figured out so it's a tax write-off if you go between comedy clubs but not if you go from your house to a comedy club so then i took a uber from my house to another com from the club to another comedy club and then walked home <laughs> but so it was Full a good fruit. night thanks i appreciate that because i had just figured that out that little scheme because i was like wait a minute i could just say <laughs> now if the irs hears this i'm joking that is that disclaimer is on all of my uh, podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, none of this is admissible. Right. Um, so, hang on. What was I going to say? That that um, I, one of, that's one of the things I love. I, I think that's one of the things that we all find so addictive about stand up. Oh, is You 100%. can be in a shit mood. I don't want to do this show. I don't want to go. Oh God, what was I thinking? I, you know, I haven't. You know, some, there's some other reason. I've got other shit going on in my life. I can't be bothered with this one. And then that one can go on to be the most productive. Totally. And that's on paper. That would have been the one where it was like, that's where you had the most fun that week. Where it was, I mean, I had done these other shows before that that were great. Really great. Just good, great shows, great venues, great other comedians. Everything was great. But that one where it was like, had gone on too long, everyone's tired, what the fuck am I doing? All that. That was the one where I was like, yes, 
thank yeah. God for that. That's a glimmer of hope in working on new stuff, which is such an interesting that, that that quest, that obsession for it. I don't know what. It's always like I'll, sometimes I'll be walking around the apartment. I'll just be like, I gotta get work on new stuff, new stuff, new stuff, mm-hmm. new jokes. And, or I'm just I'll be always saying like, I gotta get some new jokes, new jokes. Like sometimes I wonder <laughs> if like that is like means something else that I'm not even sure what that means yet. Oh, what? The, when you get to the walking around your apartment phase, that's symptomatic of something, you mean? Yeah, like, I'm like, am I, do I really want new jokes or am I after something else that I'm just calling jokes? Because, like, is it really just about getting new jokes? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe the bear. I don't know. Can you, can you recreate, um, not recreate, can you deliberately create the conditions like you said that 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 one lady's reaction to that joke about your mum set you off yeah i said mum it's weird right um it it kind of uh, it set you off into into the right kind of creative space to kind of bounce on into mm-hmm. doing something else can you kind of try to create those conditions like when it's a new material spot or like a something you know a low stakes sure. situation i haven't found a way to do it so what i do with writing to create the conditions for writing i'll usually sit down, listen to a recording, and just try to start brainstorming around that while I'm also transcribing things. Okay. So that is how I'll like try to discipline myself and try to write, but I haven't been able to create it like where I have I mean, I don't know. Like I just as we're talking about like I could get like if it's like if I need someone to like pet me on, I could get like a sex robot and then program it to say like to like giggle at certain points to then see if that like eggs me on you know I don't know I'm just spitballing here but but, but, you you know what I mean can we just unpack that what the fuck are you talking about like it'd be like if I'm trying to recreate the space where that woman is egging me on like if I'm writing and then the sex uh, like I look over and the sex robot's like ah I connected with that ha 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 yes Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, then yeah. I'll be like, oh shit, and then I'll keep going farther because it's like, it's when someone eggs you on, then it's like you get sillier. Or yeah. for me, like I was always someone that was like kind of like goofy in conversation, and then it was me trying to reharness how I was in conversation. Like I was a class clown, and yeah. like. Oh, I remember on your bio, I think on your website, it's, there's that very brief story about being at school and the teacher having a deal with you yeah. that if you shut up and paid attention, you'd get yeah. to tell everyone a story at the end of the class. This is true. <laughs> 100%. I love that. Yeah, I went to a Waldorf school, which is like a really hippie. Did someone else go to Waldorf? No, we know about It's good. To, isn't it exciting to know about things? <laughs> 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 Whenever I know about something, too, I get that excited. Like, oh, I know about that! <laughs> so Waldorf, if you don't know about it, it's like a very hippie school. They don't have grays. It's a very, like, encouraging of arts and... It's. I mean, I also I wasn't special ed, and I think that that being in a Waldorf school was part of why I didn't know I had a learning difference for a long time because yeah. there's no grades, so it's sure. like we're all doing great. And then I got to high school, and I was like, there's a problem. <laughs> Something's not right. And I was like, but I'm good with these crayons. We're like, mm. <laughs> so in the Waldorf school, where it was very experimental. But there's so I noticed this. It was when I started having a lot of problems at home when my parents got divorced and my living situation was totally destabilized because it went from being, you know, I'm in one home every night to I live with my dad. My sister lived with my mom. My brother lived with his mom. We were separated. It was this really nasty divorce. So right in tandem with that, I started acting up in class. Okay. And as I was acting up in class, the teachers started making a deal with me where she was like, look. You know, I can't fail you because there's no grades here, okay? (laughs) 
if I could, I would. But <laughs> she was like, look, if you don't interrupt the class or you don't make little comments or like do silly things, I'll give you five minutes at the end of the day or like right before we go to recess or some, we'd some time thing worked out. I'll give you five minutes to dish, like have the floor and tell a story. That's such Isn't good that teaching. Funny? That's incredible. It really is. That's I mean, lots of, lots of teachers nodded it and is, spoke their approval. It seems like a slippery slope though, because like, what if you if you do that for one student, then maybe yeah. you should be doing it for all of them, and then you got like, you know, 15 kids deep, and everyone's like, I want to go home, you know. <laughs> So do you, um, just to stay with that, because I'm fascinated by that. And I did that, that, and I remember I would work on a story, I would work on a story probably instead of paying attention, and then I would share the story, and then people started asking for requests. So they would say, you know, we would be, they would be learning something about Greek gods, and then they would go, you going to do something with that later? And then I'd be like, oh, and then I would. Oh, my God. And I'm still friends with some of the people from that Waldorf school because it was, I'm from such a small town, 2,000 people. So very mm -hmm. tiny, the school. I think there were 12 kids in, about, say, 12 to 18 kids in each class. So they would combine grades. So there would be just like you'd fill up a classroom a little bit. And I'm still in touch with people from it, but they'll bring that up. They'll be like, do you remember that? how the teacher used to do that, or I guess one time I did a story about meridians. I don't even know what that is, but I have Do you ever find them, uh, do you ever find yourself going, yeah, tell me, what was the, what were the beats? I need, I need <laughs> yeah, new jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Remind I need me. new jokes. I'm calling up that old teacher. You remember what the book I said back in fourth grade? It was, but I have this friend, Sebastian, and when I see him over the years, he'll always, he'll quote something I said from one of those stories, mm -hmm. which I guess the line was, I have meridians. And so when he sees me, he's like, I have meridians. And it's like, <laughs> we're still, you know, but that yeah. was like the first. Uh, was, the, was, yeah. was your intention with those little mini sets, was it specifically to get laughs? Was it to be interesting or to be liked or was it to make, to make people laugh? That's such a good question and I appreciate it. I don't know. I wasn't cognitive of it at the time, like that I'm going to try to get laughs but I'm going to assume yes because I think probably it was a defense mechanism of some sort like that would have and you know in the best case it's yes because I care about people's time and attention and I appreciate it and I would hope I would have back then and that's like a takeaway like at least if it's trying to be amusing then there's you know that's an exchange for their time which I value or so it was probably that coupled with me being silly because I can't imagine, you know, I was in so much pain at that point. And when I started acting out, I was a really overweight kid. And I, that's when I first started using a substance as a coping mechanism. And I was just like, so like torn up and always like in this like cycle of binge eating. And I can't imagine that I was like looking to speak in a way from the heart because I was so, I was trying so much to numb myself out. So to me, comedy seems like what I would have been trying to do because I can't imagine me trying to sit with the moment and be like, I'm a, also if I was gonna authentically share to people before a recess, I would have gotten booed. So if you're the thing standing between the kids going out to re, I think I probably knew I needed to put humor into it to like, you know, have their time. Like that yeah. feels like the trade-off. Like if people come to see a comedy show and they're not coming to see a specific person, the trade-off is kind of like better be amusing. Yeah. That's how I'll think of it. Like that's like the that's the price of admission for having people hear what you're trying to share. 
That really is like, uh, and for like, I don't know if that, it, did that it, make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and total it, safe space if it's not tracking to be like. No, 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 no. In, it, it's it's so peculiar. I think there's over 400 episodes of this show that I've done over the last 11 years, and there are so many completely unique kind of origin mm. stories. I've never come across that before. That's hysterical, really. That that like, if you wanted to create a stand-up comedian, that's quite a good way of. Like going the, about it, yeah, right? sure. The, yeah. T- the teacher it, giving me the time at the yeah, end, yeah, giving you yeah. time, and also in a place where you were hurting, and it gave you the opportunity. Oh. Like you can look back at it now and go, you might not have articulated that at the time, but if you can win the affection of the room, totally. that's got to be part of the dynamic of. And I wonder if I was uncomfortable with how I. I remember getting really uncomfortable with how I looked only in high school because in high school that's when people were like, okay, we're supposed to get boyfriends and wear dresses. And in my Waldorf school, that wasn't really part of the narrative. So I don't know if I was uncomfortable with how I look, but I was definitely starting to deviate from the other gr- girls. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and I wondered if in the beginning I was trying to like warp my body so it didn't wasn't was like less feminine. But I think really it was more just like it was comforting to like binge eat. You mm-hmm. know, that was sugar is such a drug for me. So this is Emma having the time of my life, as you can clearly hear. Uh, really, really fun to talk to her. And just that lovely combination of zappy and witty and sparkly and also really kind of candid and, and thought through. I, I think this is <laughs> there's, there's something fun about two ADHD people talking to each other and getting all giddy about the way each other's minds works. So lots more of this to enjoy. Support the show at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders if you care to. And you can also catch up with Emma Wilman at I am Emma Wilman on TikTok and Twitter. And Instagram, she is Emma Wilman. Uh, her website is I am Emma Wilman. So um, presumably there are other Emma Wil- I'm always interested in the, the processes that went into like which which one did she get first? Presumably Twitter came before Instagram. So she went with I am Emma Wilman first. And then on Instagram was I am Emma Wilman taken. That can't be right. Anyway, loads of great content uh, there from Emma. She is someone, as you've heard, who is very committed to putting lots of stuff out and also has a very high turnover rate. So if you haven't already, please, please take the opportunity to get acquainted uh, with uh, Emma's work online. She's just so fabulous. And one of those people, if we're ever on in the same town, I would make a beeline to go and see her. Just a joy. Now, um, more stuff from me before we go back into this. Uh, spoilers is coming along nicely. By the time you hear this, I will have done a gig uh, at the Extinction Rebellion protest rally that's coming up uh, over the long weekend in London. By the time you hear this, that will be a couple of weeks ago, and I will be in a position to reflect better on it. At the moment, I'm terrified. I'm dabbling my toe in activism. And um, I think you dip a toe, don't you? You dabble or you dip a toe. Well, I'm. I think dabbling a toe <laughs> makes clear, <laughs> not uh, makes clear my. <laughs> I think I think dabbling a toe makes clear that it it really is a first kind of a foray to me to to do material at a protest gig. Um, so I'm very excited, terrified about that. So I'll let you in on all of that. Um, but remember, go to stuartgoldsmith.com to get hold of the special. This is the big news. Um, the special I Need You Alive is now in the wild. It is now freely available um, at YouTube on the £800 Gorilla website. There's a link to it on the banner from, from my own site, stuartgoldsmith.com and comedianscomedian.com. And anywhere, I hope now the pipeline is sufficiently set up that wherever you encounter anything of mine online, it's two clicks. It's not even a hop, skip and a jump. It's just a hop and a skip to find the special. It's had 28,000 views, I think, in the first few days, which is enormously gratifying. And if 
If when you watch it, if you enjoy it, perhaps you could choose a positive comment and click thumbs up on that because then we could get the one really mean-spirited one off the top of the comments list. I wouldn't mind you doing that at all. Who will rid me of this troublesome top comment? Um, so I, I really hope you enjoyed that show. And also I wanted to say I won't post Amber at you because uh, various reasons I won't go into. Um, so we'll just finish up the show in a sec. Let me just say this now. I just want to say thanks to everyone, not just the people involved in the special, but also the people who paid for the special over the last couple of months. Um, I hope you don't feel aggrieved that the special is now available for free. I feel like this kind of staggered release is the way that the market's going. But I said as much in the ConCon Facebook group. Um, it's it's the production company have every right to try and make money from the capital investment that they put into the show. And um, and it's because people like you, if you paid for it, uh, it's because people like you are able to uh, pay for it, that that means that they make some of their money back. Hopefully all of their money back. Time will tell, I'm sure. Um, but what that means is there's more opportunities for the young, good, but not yet famous comics of tomorrow. So thank you very much if you've watched that show and commented positively or shared it with your friends or what have you. Thank you very much as well if you had paid for it in advance. I hope I haven't put your nose out of joint by it then becoming free. I think that's just how online releases work these days. But there we are. Um, I noticed as well on the subject of YouTube specials, uh, Luke Heggie has put his show Tip Rat online as well. I'm very much enjoying uh, that at the moment. So that, that oh, as I'm saying that, I'm like, this is, this is going to get back to Heggie. There's a chance he might listen to this. Hello, Luke. Uh, and I know he considers me a sap at the best of times. So the fact I'm talking so cheerily about his work is only going to wind him up. Good. So root out Luke Heggie's Tip Rat, uh, which he's just released as a full special. I think I, I think I recognise enough of the stuff. I think I saw this show live uh, some time ago, but um, it's, I think I saw it at Soho a few years ago. It, it's so, so funny. I just love his stuff. Um, and I'm happily simpering and smiling about it in a way that will upset him no end. So that's all of that. Let's get back to the rest of this chat with Emma Wilman live at South by Southwest. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Tell me about your earliest experiences of doing stand-up stand-up okay like what was the given that you by the time presumably by the time you actually started doing a stand-up gig you were a very experienced writer sure do you know what I mean like you knew how to hold people's attention or what have you what was the what were the circumstances of the first gig you ever did so the circumstances for the very first show okay the first open mic I did was in Boston and this friend of mine had a queer poetry open mic and I never watched comedy growing up so I don't know it was like I had I saw something. Oh, I remember what it was. I saw a girl doing comedy at a party, and it was like people were upset with her because she made some joke where she used right when I walked into the party, people were like, "This girl just said I'm gonna re-say the word that she she said." T R A. I'm dyslexic. Like T. You know, Silence of the Lambs. Tranny. That's what she said. Yeah. So she said that, 
And everyone was like, she said Dranny, like she shouldn't said Dranny. And they were like descending on this girl. And I went over to her and I was like, what happened? Why'd you say that? And she was like, I was trying to do stand up comedy. And I was like, oh shit, what? Stand up comedy. And that planted the seed. So then I was like, I'm gonna do try to do that, except for not say that word at my friend's poetry open, my friend's queer poetry okay. open mic in Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts. And I remember going and I went and watched a couple times, but I was too scared. And then I went up, and that first time, uh, you know, I'm not one to say something goes well. I'm always like, I could have changed that, could have changed this. I, I fucking, I killed it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been, I've been tracing the dragon ever since. It's been all downhill from there. But that night, I was on fire. I don't know what happened. It went quite well. I remember, like, walking around that town, Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts, afterwards, and people would be like, JP, and people would be like, hey, like you from the fucking whatever. And I was like so pumped about it. So I was like, oh my God, this is, I got it. This is great. Cut to two months later, I, I entered a contest because I was like, I'm ready to be in a contest. So I go from my friend's queer poetry open mic in Jamaica Plain, Massachusetts <laughs> to a comedy contest at Dick Doherty's Comedy Den. And I remember, it was the first time I'd ever even been in a comedy club, first time not at an open mic. And I go on stage and someone, right before I even get to the microphone, someone's like, you look funny. And then someone else is like, you look like a boy. And I was like, wait, huh? And I got so nervous and I, I don't even remember the rest of it. But I remember afterwards walking around and I went and bought cigarettes and it was raining. And I remember just walking in the rain, smoking cigarettes. probably listening to, you know, who knows, some sat Nine Inch Nails or something, just upset. And then I remember going back to my apartment, and I lived in Jamaica Plain at the time, and I must have fallen asleep holding the cigarettes, and there was a leak in the roof that fell right onto the cigarettes. So I woke up in a puddle of tobacco water, and I remember thinking, okay, if I keep doing comedy, I'm gonna win that competition someday, and I'm also not gonna smoke as a coping mechanism. And then I started doing open mics. Okay. I won that competition a year later. Yes! Thank you, appreciate that, yeah. I remember, and I remember being like, and after I won the competition, I think I took some comedy classes in between but that's when I start really remembering my times on stage because that's when I started doing open mics constantly. So those were my first two times that I was on stage were open mic, comedy competition. Then I don't really remember it. Yeah. And then I started like clocking, like going out to open mics all the time in Boston. And then I moved to New York maybe two years after that mm-hmm. because, and my credit was that I had won this comedy competition at Dick Doherty's Comedy Den. I thought that that would be like you know, I'm ready to go pro because of that. Little did I know that's not exactly how it works. No, but. sure. But did you move to New York specifically to go and be a comic? So my parents hated that I was even... Because all of a sudden I was gone all the time. Like, I remember whenever I would always be like, I'm going out to open mics, open mics, open mics, open mics. And my mom hated it. She was like, what are you doing? This is weird. Like, I don't think this is good for you. Like, why don't you take yoga or something? And then my dad, I don't really remember how he reacted to it, but he was a little more, neither of them watched comedy at all, but I think they were just both very, like, worried. Yeah. 
And then I was doing all these open mics, doing these bar shows. Oh, and I remember my mom, I was like, I'm going to take her to a show. She comes to the show. It was her, my stepdad. They were the only audience members. And they still did the show. And while I was waiting to go on, there was this comic from Boston named Tom Dustin on stage. And he says to my mom, he's doing a joke about the sex toy, the rabbit. And he goes, lady, do you know what the rabbit is? And she goes, no, but I can assume from what you're saying, it is some type of sexual toy. (laughs) And he goes, what are you doing here? And then she went, I have to be here. My daughter's trying to be a comedian. So here I am. And I was like, fuck. And I remember taking shots in the back because I thought that would, I don't know, make it go by better. And then I went up and did the show. Brutal. And after that, I remember being in the car with my mom and we were silent. We just drove home in silence. And then she goes, we get to her condo. I was living with her. Get to her condo in Cambridge, silent. She's looking straight ahead, and she goes, you got to go to grad school. <laughs> so I moved to New York, and I went to grad school okay. for my mom, basically. Yeah. And I was doing open mics. I mean, it was like, you know, in New York, the open mics, it's just pandemonium. They're, they're all the time. And I was going to grad school and doing open mics, and I remember I figured out pretty quick, okay, the sign-up game for open mics in New York is intense. Mm-hmm. You go up first if you get there first to sign up. And I was like, shit, people are getting here at like, the open mics at 6, people are getting here at 4 p.m. So what I started doing on my way to class, I would go by the club at like 10 a.m., boom, put the list up, and then I would laminate it to the club door, like laminate all around it so that someone couldn't take it off and say like that they started the list. And then I started figuring out who else went to lots of open mics. And so I was like, hey, I'll sign you up for this one. You sign me up for another one. And then we had this little exchange program going. But I remember this comedy club owner, Marco, like years later, I remember talking to him and he was like, man, those open mics. He was like, I had to start doing them differently. He was like, some asshole was... (laughs) was laminating the mic sheet to the door so when I had to take it down it was messing up the door and I had to go out with a knife every day and cut it off <laughs> and I was like people suck you yeah. know people just suck let's I, I want to talk about the kind of the, the vigor with which you attacked comedy because yes. and because you're a very vigorous person right you kind of bite down on the stuff you're saying I and do. I wonder I wonder, like, particularly when, with that kind of, I wonder if there's a relationship between your ADHD and the natural coping strategies that we create. Sure. And the kind of the strategies that you have to, like, I'm going to throw myself at this as hard as I possibly can. So I used to always do that with everything. I used to always, like, when I was in, because I think I started figuring out pretty quick where I was like, okay all right, maybe I won't do so well at school. And I had this really mean stepmom that taught special ed, and she was, she used that she taught special ed. She she was so mean. It's not my stepmom now, but she would be like, I mean, it's a trigger warning. This is like a little abusive. She's like, you're stupid, and I know stupid because I teach a special ed. She was so, so mean. And she really fucked my head up with that. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to do well in school, so I have to find other avenues. So I was like, I want to be in the music business. So I was obsessed. I wanted to do A&R, and I began, I was obsessed with Jermaine Dupri. Are you familiar with him? 
so he is a rapper from Atlanta, but he also had a joint venture with uh, Def Jam. It was called So So Def. Do you remember the song Welcome to Atlanta? No. Welcome to Atlanta where the players play. Do you ever hear the Dem Franchise Boys? I think this is just going to get worse. Okay, okay, hold on. um, uh, You know, we know Mariah Carey. I'm I'm familiar yeah. with the work of Miss Brian Carey. Well, she dated him for a minute. Okay, cool. Yeah, and he, you know, he's not a real looker. So he's got a lot of charisma, I think. But anyway, I became obsessed with Jermaine Dupree when I was in Maine because I was like, okay, hold on a minute. Oh, Jermaine Dupree and Master P because I was like, these two guys, they own the rights to stuff. And I was just curious in their business model. So I was obsessed with trying to do A&R. And my goal was to someday work for Jermaine Dupree. This is why I was in rural Maine. And I attacked that pretty... I mean, I went for it with that. So Didn't that, work out, but I tried. So that that's kind of what I'm talking That obsessional quality. Oh, I, I was think, obsessed. Well, I think it's... Those things, someone someone phrased this really well to me in a conversation here a couple of nights ago. There's something about the what an effective driver it can be. Mm, Hyperfocus is a big yeah, part right. of it. Yeah, yeah. Hyperfocus, and then I think for me it was like, I think it, a lot of it was fear-based too, because I was so scared of being. I was like, I don't know if it was like, I, I was just, I was always looking. I think in the beginning it was me looking to be like you know, I'm not stupid. I'm going to show everybody that I'm not stupid. And for some fucking reason, I thought working for Jermaine Dupree was the, <laughs> the ticket. I was like, if they see me working with so, so deaf, they'll know they were wrong. I don't know what, like, ADD jumps it took to get me there. Whatever. But, I mean, he was, he's, he's a, I think he's a real winner. But, it, but anyway, so... That, I think, was a big part of what fueled it, where I was just, like, scared of marinating in how I felt at the present moment, right? Yeah, okay. So I was like, I don't feel good now. What do I need to do to escape this? Yeah. And then seeing, like, on TV, especially with, like, music and then rap specifically, which is what I gravitated towards, it was words as a product. Mm-hmm. So it's not where you're from. It's where you're at. How'd they get there? Words, words, words. So I was really, really interested in that. And that was the first thing I ever hyper-focused on. But I think it was fear that was really pushing it. And then it did become more of a genuine, well-rounded passion, I would say. And and do you, like, that kind of um, obsessional quality and the hyper-focus of going, hey, there's a system here, you have to sign right. up early, I'm going to sign up on my way to school kind of thing. Yeah. Um, did you apply that to the actual writing and the creativity and the, the kind of... Um, creation of material as well as to the kind of pounding the street getting gigs no just the signing up the no, I'm, I'm trying, no yes i absolutely like i've always i read everything i can find about stand-up comedy writing and i was actually telling before we start mm-hmm. telling you about you know something i google all the time is comedy writing comedy writing i'm just always interested in people's process and then your podcast popped up mm-hmm. about a month ago and i started listening to it because I'm just obsessed with hearing about people's comedy writing process, what works for other people, and yep. like writing prompts. So I did, yeah. And and how much of that? Because like that's why I do the show is because sure. I'm obsessed about that as well. Um, but I don't know how much of it. Like my attention flits from one thing to another. Mm-hmm. Like I'll interview someone who's a one-liner person. And I'll come away going, "That's it. That's the secret. I've got to write one more. You know, more one-liners." Totally. Or someone will do long stories, and I'll interview them, and I'll get really, yeah, yeah. I've really got to increase the stories, and it can drive me a bit insane sometimes. I wonder whether, like, what's your reaction to that constant obsessional learning? Are you able to kind of magpie? Do you have magpies in America? No. Um. Birds that like shiny things. 
Oh have, yeah, do you yeah, have yeah. Like shiny but, things. And then there's yeah. those cookies. The you know, aren't there some cookies, magpie? What are they called? Moon pies. Yeah, yeah. This is. I'm okay, sorry, again. sorry, okay, sorry, I'm sorry. Back to the but, Atlanta rap scene. So, I've got no idea. So, so magpies with the shiny. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, yeah. so. My point is, if you are kind of obsessionally learning, how much of that learning do you feel that you kind of like, uh, looking back, how many of those things did you actually take on and fold into your process? And how many, how much of that was a sort of the froth on top of a kind of an obsessional quality of trying to consume learning? You really are good with words. Yeah, you say them well, yeah, and they go very like, <laughs> they, no, they sound the way you, you really paint a picture. Oh, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think for me, when I hear about other people's process, what it's comforting because I know that someone else is just going through trying to even have a process about creating something. So whether or not I take away, oh, they use this writing prompt or this exercise, that is secondary to me just looking for relating about something that you don't commonly hear some people searching for. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's what to me, so then I feel comfort in that. And sometimes I will try to take, okay, someone says they do, you know, they write for 10 minutes and then they take a walk or they do this, they try to think of 10 things they hate or something. I will try to then do that, but I pretty much usually go back to the same writing process, which is now it's usually I'll think of something, I'll try to think of something that seems odd or weird and then I just blow it out of proportion and then I try to incorporate it into my set how it is. And that's yep. what I've been doing more recently where I felt I was the most pure was when I first started because that was when it was like I wasn't overthinking it so much. It was like much more just raw and that stuff I've then drawn on for like years and years to expand because I think what started happening, especially when I started doing comedy like professionally, I started thinking, well, shit, I need to get something here to then try to sell it for this or I need to get this material so then I can go do this. And then that started taking away what really resonated from it. And so then I've just had to just push that to the side and then try to get back to what do I think is funny? What do I think is interesting? What can I present in a way that I think will go with like an overall, like right now I'm really trying to find a thread in like a longer, my act and just like play around with, with that. Some of your, well, let, well, let's just talk about that. So what are your kind of your walking around jokes at the moment? Like what's your kind of, I love that phrase. I've stolen this from my friend Gordon Southern, Please. who's an amazing uh, stand up in the UK, but he just refers to his walking around gear. Do you know what I mean? Like the, the jokes that you've sort of got, like if you had to do a set right now, oh, that's yeah, the yeah, set yeah, that yeah. you do, right? So, so what's the thread that you're kind of considering or finding in the okay. stuff that you're doing at the moment? So right now it's a little bit of a battle because what I've been wanting to talk about is trying to find ways to deal with life. And I don't smoke cigarettes anymore. I don't drink anymore. And trying to like flit through that and like weave that into my other – my walking around jokes are quitting smoking, ADHD, and sexuality. But I've been having a hard time tying everything together. But the, the staple is jokes about my dad, sexuality, and then – and porn – Yep. Your stuff about your relationship with your girlfriend and the fact that you uh, are attracted to hyper is it hyper feminine women? Yes, you absolutely. And the fact of describing yourself as the man one. Yes. I don't want to butcher the bit, yeah, but yeah. Jesus Christ, I was laughing so hard at that stuff. I appreciate that. Thank you. you. What you managed to do was navigate so deftly around these kind of themes of how you're perceived, how gender is perceived, people's expectations of you and of each other, and and like, like none of it, 
like none of it's kind of provocative, but it's it's kind of so mildly provocative, but we're, it's really engaging. I just I'm such a fan. I really appreciate that. So I always also try to think of it like I never want to be inaccessible to the people that I would want it to be accessible to, which would be like anybody who's like trying to not be a fucking dick. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like if the intention is just like that's who I would want to be accessible to. And you know, it's interesting because who it's connect, who comes out to shows the most I've noticed is generally straight women, 35 through 42. And it's interesting because it's like it's it that's who it seems to connect with the most more than I've never been like now I'm I love to do a gay show it's great but it's just I notice sometimes lesbians or queer people will come because they like see how I look and I'm like oh of course but then they come and that's not who necessarily like will come back show after show okay even though i'm open to it you yeah, know yeah yeah okay but you what you so what it's not who's it's a bit it's not who it's been resonating to the most and sometimes i'll get nervous when i do those shows because i'll be like shit is the way i'm presenting my outlook on queer stuff is that interesting to a queer audience as well sure because and also i do try to really um be i re- it is very important to me when i, I usually think of Okay, so gender as a socialized reality, race, class, gender, the intersections there. Once we acknowledge it as socialized reality, I'll think of it as like, just I'll refer more to femininity and masculinity. But I'll, I'm very pro. Okay, so what I call I'm pro man. Like I'm pro man. I'm pro penis man. That's what I call biological men. Like I'm pro pro pro. All the, and I want that to be part of it. Like I hate the the only the stipulation. If I'm doing a club and they're like, oh, you know, do you want a local opener? And I'm like, yep, can be anybody. I go, but no, uh, no one, no anti-man. I don't like that. I mean, no, don't be like it can be within within. Re- I want someone like fun, good energy, all that stuff. But no, so because every now and then I'd get to a club and they would have a host that would be like, men suck and men do this. And men, if it's coming from a straight girl, I don't mind that as much because they're still accessible to men because they're with men at the end of the day. But if it's like someone that's like, I'm a lesbian and I hate men, I, that makes me very uncomfortable because I I don't know, I, I'm just I'm very pro. Yeah. Which isn't, a, I don't know, I, I'm pro. <laughs> I'm pro and I want them in the porn. Like I, like, I... <laughs> I think so many things do boil back to sexuality in that, like, you know, sexuality and what you're attracted to. Obviously, a lot of times we're attracted to taboo things we don't want in our real life. But I think that with, like, what we seek out in porn, like, does reflect, like, some, like, innate animalistic drive. And in that space, a man, like, a a penis man is mandatory yeah. in my what I want and then I also to really loop it around that's also what I want in my comedy to be safe space for a masculine energy as well yes and do you there was something you said a moment ago that just kind of gave me a glimmer tell me if this is a wrong sort of direction but do you ever have the the notion or the concern that if you are more accessible to a straight audience than a queer audience that is a concern somehow, that like that's you somehow s- selling out or something like that. Well, here's what the concern is. So I was always like, I'm just going to I'm going to do that and then not be limiting. But then I have, you know, friends and colleagues who have focused more on being like, I'm going to mobilize. I'm this and I'm going to mobilize this audience. And they are fucking killing it. So I was like, oh, maybe I should have 
I was talking with my girlfriend the other day, and she was like, you know, if you want to just stop right now and just start just addressing lesbians and be like, I'm gay, and you're gay, and we're fucking gay. She was like, you know, I get a little more creative with it. But she was like, I don't know, maybe next time you see me, that's what I'll be doing. I'm gay, you're gay, we're fucking gay, okay? That's what it is. Gay. But she was like, if you wanted to do that, you could do that right now and focus on that and like have that be your thing. And then with your Facebook ads, like fuck, go right for that. And I was like, I'd rather just not do stand-up, even though, because that's just not what I would talk about naturally, even though I do love that and it's like fun to watch people doing that too. It's just has, you know, it's just not me necessarily. So what I get more scared about is being like, oh, maybe I should, maybe it would be, you mean selling out in terms of focusing I don't necessarily think of focusing on straight people but I'll focus more on like not wanting to just talk about I mean I could like you I love talking wanna, about sexuality kinda, stuff you but. don't want to ghettoize yourself is that what you mean that you, you ghettoize yeah mm. like you don't want to oh okay did I did I say something that's more appropriate no, to know. say in the UK suddenly I what is what I'm is I'm detecting some sort of like ah, I may be in deeper water than I realized. But there's nothing wrong. No, there's anything wrong with the. No. So what I mean is, I think you've I th- I don't know that you've answered the question that I meant, mm-hmm. but it was a different and fascinating answer, which is to do with your like selling in the terms of like selling tickets that you don't want to be exclusive. Actually, it's it's your but, intention to be accessible. To everyone, or rather, not to be limited by having kind of picked a niche and exploited it. Right, but no, I'm scared I've made a grave mistake. But how can you have made a grave mistake when you are successful and functioning? Is it that you're kind of looking at your peers and going, "Well, I'm not as successful as the most successful of my peers, and therefore it's not good enough"? You know, yeah. I mean, it's also so. I just started doing fa- when you start doing Facebook ads. You know, and they go, what are you trying to... Oh, yeah, yeah. Much you start doing it and you go, you go, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. It makes me understand advertising work because it's, like, a lot easier if you're, like, I want people that are, like, you know, 18 through 24 that are interested in RuPaul. Yeah. That's a good Facebook ad. Yeah. But if you're, like, I want people 18 to 24 that are interested in life. Yeah. Well, now it's a little less targeted. Well, this is... Uh, this is our, and our here's whole other- the problem. I, I mean, a lot of comics, I think, will that will really resonate with them. True, that's true. You know, you go, so, who, hey, who are you? What's your voice? What is it you totally. do? And you kind of go, well, I'm a human being. Right. And I talk to other human yeah, beings. No. And you're like, who gives a fuck? So is everyone. Right, right, you know, right. Who, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So this is kind of leading us into that kind of social media and kind of the distribution of your material. Sure. Stuff. And I wish that wasn't part of it. I really do. Yeah. But like, I, I'll say that, and then I'll have friends that I'll talk to, and they're like, well, I don't really want to do that. And I'm like, you have to. Like, what are you talking about? Like yeah. narrow down those Facebook ads, but then I don't know. It's a catch twenty two. It's a. It, I do. I don't know if it hurts the creative process or if it's just like part of. You know, we all have to do things that we don't necessarily want to do. Sure. That's part of. That's. Yeah, and there is know, something. Eighty percent of the day. Like so, you you have a following of like seven hundred thousand and something followers on TikTok. Imagine I knew the exact amount. I would love you. If I was like seven hundred thousand and two, Stu. I don't know how you missed that second one. <laughs> I wonder whether there is something about the the way that you use, or the way that one can use social media platforms, sure. TikTok Reels and everything else, which appeals to the part of your mentality which gets there at 10 a.m. and laminates something to the door. Well, so that's what I was trying to do when I first went on TikTok. I was going in. I took a class on how to do TikTok videos. What did you learn from your class on TikTok videos? Okay, so I took it from this guy who was probably like 18 and definitely lived at home with his mom, which is totally cool. 
but I remember trying to learn. To, he sold this TikTok class because I remember for, seeing TikTok and I was like, what is this? And then I remember being like, I don't know how to do this. And then I was like, okay, I can figure it out, right? So then I typed in TikTok class. This one popped up and I bought it. And then it was this guy, you know, in his bedroom just talking to the camera, being like, you can't take yourself too seriously. And I'm like taking notes like, is this my fucking life right now? Like, okay, fine. Also, true. And then I also signed up for his one-on-one mentorship thing. Hey. So I paid him the other 75 bucks. And what did I learn from him? Well, you can't take yourself too seriously. Is what I learned. You can't do it. I learned from that, you know, his, it was like, you got to post at 10 and then you got to post at two and then you got to post at four and you got to do four videos a day and ah, it's changing. Now you got to post at one and you got to post. Yeah. And I remembered I was doing that in the beginning, but then that wasn't, and the TikTok was building, but then I started noticing people that wasn't what people were coming out the shows from. People started coming out the shows from Facebook and I was, so the obsession there was I was editing videos constantly because the amount of videos I was putting out was like, you know, two a day. And I was doing it myself. I'd get to the club, set up my camera, and I had hired editors before, but the turnaround on what I was putting out, it was just too many videos. So I learned final, I learned different like editing programs. Mm-hmm. And then only in the past, I guess like five months now, I have someone that does my social media. And ooh, passing up that control felt weird. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm so grateful for it. I feel like I've got like a life back like a tiny bit, but okay. um, that hyper focus really did play into that with the. I mean, because I don't know if you guys or you find this, but it's such social media really lends into a vortex of like obsession. And it does seem to work for people who enjoy it. Mm. I think one of the things that is kind of unteachable in a mentorship one on one course is that the people who I see do really well on various platforms are people who are naturally on those platforms or addicted mm. to, depending on how you want to phrase it, who who like following other people, who enjoy it, who enjoy posting multiple times. You and think or do you think they're just pretending that? Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, maybe. I mean, there's. I'm sure there's. I'm sure there's both kinds. But right. there's. There's also a third set, which is people like me, which is, I'm sort of dutifully doing it. Like I don't have TikTok on my phone. Uh, That's I'm, good. Yeah, because yeah, you know, because I, I, did, are they sponsor anything here? I mean, it's spyware, right? We know it's spyware. I mean, it's. Am so... I allowed to say that? It, it's spyware. You should Google that. You I'll do you so? a one-on-one mentorship course, $175. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, but, send me the link after the thing. <laughs> but, you know, it's like I'm sort of, not exactly grudgingly, I've just personally now in the last kind of six months started to go, oh, I do, like I don't feel so disempowered now. Sure. I've got a couple of things, you know, go a tiny bit viral. And Absolutely. Go, oh, this could be really useful. So in terms of the material that you put out on there, are you, you're, you're kind of mixing. Have you got like a calendar of going, uh, here's a crowd work clip and here's some material and here's some material but from a TV thing clipped into the right... You know, I all do of that now. Stuff. Now yeah. I do. But so my tactic when I first started, in the beginning, I think I posted like 10 videos and they weren't getting views. So I was like, fuck TikTok. It sucks. You have to twerk. It's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> then I did it. Then I started twerking. <laughs> then yeah. I started twerking. <laughs> then I posted this video where I made a weird face. I was interacting with a kid in the audience. I go, what? 
And for whatever reason, that video, all of a sudden, boom, 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 million views, two million views, three million views, four million views. So all of a sudden, I'm like, TikTok's fucking awesome. It's not about twerking. It's about content and quality. And it's just, you know, you just got to find the right thing that whatever. So that video does well. And then I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. And then I started posting more. And I wasn't getting that same success. But I started seeing, oh, shit, it's possible. Yeah. And then I think I took – then I didn't post for like – a while over the pandemic and then I think it was just like out starting to do shows again and I just kind of was like looking around and I was like I'm going to give it a try and I just one of the things I do like about TikTok is it feels like you can really just you know people just swipe it feels like so much less precious which I think was a good lesson for me to be like just get something out there and people can pick it or not pick it and I also besides then starting to post on TikTok like I'm a, a fan like my TikTok algorithm it's all hip flexor exercises, <laughs> and I love them. I did some today. I mean, it is curated yeah, yeah. hip flexor, how to be more mobile, how to get stronger. I mean, I don't think there's a world where I would ever have this curated hip flexor experience if it wasn't yeah. for TikTok. Yeah, I uh – yeah, it's great. I, I get I get I get occasional hip flexor content. You do, yeah, because of my age. Um, um, uh, and my age, uh, and I also get a lot of uh, cutaway videos of wall plugs being driven into a plasterboard. Really? Yeah, really interesting. <laughs> really, I love to watch some DIY. I'll never do. Well, yeah. that's a very that's a very common thing. Like yeah. that stuff, like that. Or you watch those? Like, have you ever gotten on the pimple popping one? Oh God! I know, no, I know. I can't watch so, that. No, no, I'm no. not on it either. But well, but I have tiptoed around it, <laughs> and yes. it's just there's millions of views watching that, and it's just yeah. so interesting to be like, wow, this is what you know. It's satisfying what, in a way. What have you gleaned from your most successful clips? So you would go like, oh, actually, I see now. Like, do you get a sense now that you're like, that one could go, and then it does, and you're like, I was right. So it's interesting to me when people are like, it doesn't work. It's all crazy. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think it's like, I do think it's a little bit of numbers game, but I think that, you know, it always has to be what's in it for someone else. Why would somebody watch this? What's the takeaway? What's the takeaway? What's the takeaway? Don't be self, don't, if you just start, hey guy, you get right to what it's about for the person right away. Like, Mm That's what it, for TikTok, it has to be, you know, the way the guy said it in the class was, he was like, you got to hook him in the first three seconds. First three seconds, you got to grab him. So that I do think is true in terms, but not in a bad, everyone's like, oh, the algorithm, but it's like, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like these people don't know you. Who are you to get their attention? Like for me, I'm about, I know I'm watching a bunch of good hip flexor videos. So if this one thing pops up and it's not hip flexors, I'm like, and First three seconds. Otherwise, why would I sure. earn my earn my ten seconds? Yeah, you know, which is maybe not a good model for well, life. But the the fascinating thing, and I, I don't th- feel that way when I talk to people in real life, just on TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wonder. My fear is like, what's next? I know. Have we got to hook their attention in a second and a half in order to deliver a four second joke? I know. Like, it's where scary. does it go next? I don't know. I mean, I usually, I think things, I think the pendulum swings with entertainment a lot. Like, where it'll be like, you know, now my bet, if if predicting people's attention were like a stock and it was like, okay, the market's always up and down, I think that, okay, I think that now, you know, the short form content skyrocketing, I'd be like, I'd be investing in some long-term, long-form content stuff. Okay. But also, 
I've only made $5 on the stock market once, so maybe don't take stock advice from me, but you know what I'm saying? Like if it, that's what I, I think that long, I think that it's not going to be getting shorter and shorter. I think that people are going to start craving deeper, like more stuff. 20 seconds. 20 seconds is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, (laughs) I'm going, I think we're going a full 90 seconds over here. Did it, did it have an effect? Did your success on social media platforms have an effect on how you regard yourself as a comic? Like if you think Mm. that in a club there might be 200 people, you do a bit, they all laugh. That's a nice feeling. You do a thing on TikTok, half a million people like it. And you go, does that, do you feel like that has a kind of any sort of effect on your confidence in a bit? So... It's, it's it's interesting how it there was this one week where I post and it was it was truly scary. I posted these four different clips and they all this was maybe last December. Each one of them got over a couple million views and it was boom boom boom. And I was literally walking around listening to DMX like this is it. Like just I've totally heard of DMX. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to make that clear. Uh, he's like. <laughs> Uh, like that so I'm listening to that and like I I truly do think that that I was so fucking confident in that but that is not a good that is not where I want to operate my comedy from at all like I want it to be like uh, in the moment sincere exchange but I do remember that I was I remember being like this is dangerous I'm on cloud nine from it and this is not good because it's not I at least knew that that wasn't going to keep being the case but sure for that week, I was a mon- no, I wasn't a monster, but I remember just it did inform how I was performing because I was like, it did, it did yeah, I was it. feeling, <laughs> I was feeling very, very confident. But how it changed with in terms of like how I would feel, I, there's certain things where they if it wouldn't necessarily go well live, but I was like, I bet there are going to be people online that will connect with this mm-hmm. specifically. I'm really into getting my steps right. So if I talk, steps is like you're tracking your steps, try to get 10,000 a day, whatever. So if I talk about that at a show, maybe maybe two people are like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, Most yeah, people yeah. do not care about it. Mm-hmm. But if I post a video about that online, there's a huge step getting community online. Mm-hmm. So I noticed that videos about getting steps or IBS, which is also something that I really <laughs> wanted to talk about. Um, do they have that? Or? Yeah, we, no, I'm joking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'd, I'd be like, if I do something about IBS, in the audience after a show, maybe one personal, one to three people will come up and be like, thank you, like I have it too. Like, uh. But it's not something that if you're doing at a live show, a bunch of people are going to be like, ow, IBS! You know, so... But sure. If, I wish. But if... If I post it online, then I, specifically the steps in IBS, those do not go well live, but online they do do well for me. That's almost – Isn't that's, that crazy? You could kind of um, – what's the word for like to, to take something apart backwards? Are there any software developers in? What do you, when you Reverse engineer. Reverse engineer. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I was so close. Um, when you're re- – you could reverse engineer what clip might find a community online sure. by thinking what bits of stand-up do you have that make one or two people come up afterwards and say thanks. Totally. Because that's a reflection of the fact that a tiny subset are deeply invested. Absolutely. And that – oh, that feels like dangerous knowledge. It is. It's, it's, it's int- and I'll try to not like – like if it's a show on the road where people are coming to see me, they probably know I'm into steps and they know about the IBS. Okay. But if it's like me just doing a showcase spot in New York, I try to just like if I'm like working on a joke about IBS or steps, I'll like try to put it in real quick because I just know that 
people, I haven't found a way to make it uh, relatable to a broad amount of people to make them. Yeah, I'll try to think of it where it's like, okay, why should they care? Why are you talking about this? Why is it worthy of people's? You could to, you, you, could you book like a, a step getting comedy night in order to just I mean, do 45 minutes on getting steps to tape it all to, to an audience who appreciates step getting stuff that'd be, in order to then deliver it and chop it up? Ooh, it's a maybe. good idea, right? Yeah, it's a good idea. Go and get obsessed about that and tell me how Yeah, it right. I <laughs> mean, that would be, I wouldn't be down to try. That'd be quite interesting. Yeah, maybe it? we could do it while we're all getting steps, which I guess would yes. just be like us going for a walk, but yeah. Nice. Yeah, I'll try it out. Lovely. Um, I wonder about whether you find yourself like in the writing process, in the kind of like, like you said, that purity that you're looking for, the doing the real thing, making discoveries, feeling like you're in the moment, oh, this is the thing. Is that ever kind of uh, invaded by the notion that, oh, well, this this would work quite well online. Maybe I should, almost like I'm chasing the dragon of kind of, hey, that would go off. And then catching yourself and going, oh, maybe that's not what I'm here for. So I think if I had started posting things online sooner, then I think that it, that would have just totally taken over. But yeah. since I had been doing stand-up for a little while, yes, I was good. able yeah. to catch it. And then also, since so many people are going through that where they're trying to get clips online, I started going, oh, God, I don't necessarily want to feed into that because there was this – I started noticing it's less in New York because New York is like – the audience just like just won't put up with it. But I would go other places where it was obvious the comedian was trying to get clips. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh, that feels uncomfortable. Yeah. And there were times where I would like tread into that. And my my girlfriend called me out. She started, she was like, it was obvious to me. She was she's seen me do stand up a lot. And she was like, it was obvious to me what you were doing. And I was like, like deliberately doing like provocative crowd work, that kind of stuff. It or? would be like, say someone seemed a little off in the past, you would just not engage it. When I'm yeah. thinking of clips, it's like, what was that? And then you're like trying to get that sound bite. And she called me out on it a couple times, and then I dropped it. And I, now I actually do almost less crowd work than I ever have yeah. because I'm like not interested in that. I'll still post crowd work if it pops up. Sure. And but you won't chase it and try and contrive it. No, because I'm like really scared of it, especially because I see it all the time. Like when I was in LA, I, I, when I was in LA, I think it was over December, I was blown away by the flagrant attempt at clip getting at some of these shows. Mm-hmm. And that's just starting to happen in the UK now. I I think it's a little rude because uh. it's like. I don't know. I'm just like, that's rude. Like, especially if people paid for a ticket to then, if you're like, if it's so obvious that you're just doing, you know, some people can just do crowd work and it can be amazing, you know, but it's, I feel like it's few and far between and people should know that when they're going into it. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I'm mm-hmm. going to give the audience an opportunity and, to do And thank Q&A. you so much. I really, I appreciate it. Oh yeah. Nice one. Do you mean generally? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're super welcome. Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about other strategies. Any other strategies that we haven't covered? Because you're very, you're like you're. Uh, I enjoy the way your mind works regarding. I'm going to get there and laminate. But you know what I mean? Any other, any other kind of either creative or industry-based strategies for things, which or, or even actually something we haven't particularly talked about is. Um, what happens when it, like how you cope when it doesn't work, how you cope mm. with the tougher times. We, we talked briefly the other night about therapy. Sure. And, um, and uh, tell, can you tell us please that, you, that thing you told me about the, um, the therapist who told you uh, compare and despair? Oh, I hired a life coach. This is before I did comedy. I got a life coach and 
she told me compare and despair, and I thought it was something that she had come up with. Yeah. And I was like, this woman's a genius. I, I, I can't believe it. That's exactly right. If you compare, then you can despair, and then that's what it leads to. And I would tell people, oh, I just got this life coach, and she told me compare and despair. And people were like, yeah, okay. And then I, I got this therapist, maybe like, we're talking like seven years later. And I was like, well, I had this life coach who once said, compare and despair. And she was like, yeah, that's a great thing, but she didn't come up with that. And I remember being like, what? Like, <laughs> I paid that woman $800 then for nothing. <laughs> it was such an expensive life coach. But you know what? She, it, and then you made a good point where it was like, it still was a very, it was a great thing for me it to hear. It still worked. It still, <laughs> still worked. worked. If it was, like, she didn't say, hey, here's a thing I came up with. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, sure. Right. Compare and despair. So I would say my, my, how I'll tr- my, like I try to focus on stuff now is I've really tried to just get back to like being like, hey, this is a real long game and trying to just do stuff that I feel proud of. And then also, and that's helped with like acting too. Because when I first started doing acting stuff, I was just, and this is very like symbolic for what my process had been, which was I'm going to take a bunch of acting class, uh, acting audition classes. And then I got cast in a couple things and I was like, I don't know how to act. <laughs> I don't know how to act. This is a goddamn disaster. I... I I don't understand the camera placement. I don't understand being in a scene with someone that's not reading the lines for your acting audition. I don't know how to do that. This is fucking not good. So I was like putting the cart before the horse for sure. And so now it's like, you know what? Let me, let me, I think I tried to reverse engineer it, which was maybe a coping skill with dyslexia and ADD of being like, okay, I'm not going to get, it's going to be hard for me to learn these certain subjects. So how can I like, maneuver around things in a way to then create a system for myself. I think that my self-will had run riot a little bit in, I'm going to create these systems, but then they got blown out in a way where it's like, hold on, you you don't always need to do that, and also you need to yeah, learn yeah. how to act before you learn how to do the audition, which I think is, I think a lot of times, at least for me, like, or I would say in you know this quick clip culture, we're looking for ways to get the thing before we know how to do the thing. Yeah. And I've had so many friends that have asked me, hey, I need to get an acting agent. How do I get an acting agent? I was like, have you ever taken an acting class? No, I gotta get an agent, then I'll take the class. And I'm like, no, it's it's like a real estate agent trying to sell a house, but you don't have a house. You're like, well, you sell it and then I'll get the house. And then we're like, no, sure. this isn't how, yeah, it, yeah, how yeah. it works. So a system I have now for like coping with all this be like, I'm gonna focus on the thing and then the steps after that and how I focus with things not going well, it's a mix. It's a real mix. You know, in the past it was drinking. It was, it was, it was being sneaky. It was maybe, you know, porn or doing, being sketchy, being a bad partner Mm -hmm. in terms of like, you know, me in the past I would do something sketchy, talking to people when I'd be in a relationship in a flirtatious way, you know, um, so that was that didn't work. My way of handling stuff did not work because I was very unhappy. And then now, it this does sound silly to say because it's like the obvious stuff. For me, I'll try to take something that doesn't go well or goes well almost the exact same way because it's just like part of okay, this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's like this is what we're good, great, good info, bad, great, great info. Okay, what do yeah, we? Yeah. How did? How did, can I gauge my, what well, I can only control what I can control. How can I gauge my, what I was able to do in that? And then if something is upsetting, being like, okay, I'm going to feel this and I am going to try to just be like, like 
going for a walk and listening to Jack Jams, like, be like, I'm upset, I'm sad, you know. Um, I've got some friends, and then my girlfriend, or I'll, I call my mom, I like, you know, over the years I've developed a close relationship with my mom, so if something's upsetting, this is one thing that helped me out, like, if I was feeling jealous of someone, I'll try to think, stop, okay. Would I want to change places with them? Would I want to say, I don't want my mom anymore. I'm going to have another their mom. Right there? No. Deal breaker. So I'm me. I'm stuck with me because, and I wouldn't change it because I wouldn't want to change out my mom or my girlfriend or my friends or you know what I mean? So that has been a coping skill because it's like, oh, you might be like, I want, I want that. But it's like, but would you actually change place with them even if it meant getting that thing? No. That's great. And that helps. That does help. And then... Uh, I, I try to not have it be something that will then make me feel bad afterwards. You know, like if I'm like, because a big one will be like, oh, like just being like, I'm going to like walk around and eat tons of sugar. Like sometimes I will use that like, oh, I'm going to get this delectable treat, but I won't, ha- I will try to not overdo it. So just trying to like keep it within the self-regulation. And this is also another thing that's been a big coping thing is really focusing on being like, okay, sleep is precious. I need to try to not be so worked up that I can't sleep. Because that was, there would be like times where I would just be like thinking about career stuff and constantly not sleep, just not sleeping. So now that focusing on prioritizing sleep has also helped. That's great. I mean, and that's so great to hear because you're, like you said, you're doing all the stuff you're supposed to do. Like I'm trying all the best to. stuff. That's great. Trying to. It's frustrating, isn't it? When you end up <laughs> doing the stuff that you've been told for ages. I know. You're supposed to, yeah, fuck oh off. Oh my God. And you do it and you're like, right. I'm happier. I actually yeah. do feel better. Yeah. <laughs> like with the drinking more water and now I get less sick and I'm, yeah. I'm 37 and like it took me up until like five months ago to be like, you know what? I was a little dehydrated. Okay. You were not. <laughs> Now that you pointed out, could have caused some problems. <laughs> I, I, someone told me, someone told me, I can't remember where I heard this a couple of years ago. Someone said, oh, basically, what, what it is, there's the key to emotions. Mm. If you're angry, you need to eat something. And if you're sad, you need to sleep. And I was like, I fucking can't be that simple. Right. Goes, no, it's pretty much that simple. Like the totally. Yeah. But it's, it's simple theories for organisms that are complicated. So you know what I mean. So yeah. it's like we have to we have to come into them in our own yeah, yeah. way. I think. Very good. I like that sentence. Did you finish grad school and and what was it for? And how's so I went to grad school for media studies and I finished it, but by like the fucking skin of my teeth. What is that saying? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I mean it was. Because it was like, that's when I was like really drinking a lot and totally focused on comedy. So I had to go back and do a summer program. And also I cheated because I had to get a math, I had to take a math class and I couldn't do it. So I I bought, um, like I took a math writing thing and I ended up buying it online and then submitted it. I don't know how I didn't get caught, but they still haven't sent me to my degree. So None of like, this is admissible. Yeah. If, if you're the IRS and you're listening, it's not true. But <laughs> They had whatever. So I did graduate. I'm just saying that all to say I don't know if I necessarily 100% deserve the graduating, but I did graduate. It was in media studies. I did my I did an independent study on celebrity construction and monetization in the United States as it relates to capitalism. That was my independent study that I created, and I I and you know who was a big part of it. I used. Uh, Jermaine Dupri. I had like a section on him to bring it. I know, right? Because. In his, 
it, 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 he was part of constructing, you know, he managed Little Bow Wow. He's bringing people to the forefront. They go away. He's still there. So, and there was a reason for that. But I, undergrad, I was lucky enough to study, like, look at, like, the way America, like, or, you know, the socialization of, like, race, class, gender, these socialized realities. And I was like, oh, shit, that's, like, kind of how celebrity construction works. So that's what I ended up, like, focusing on and studying. And, and then my mom, when I graduated, she was like, what did you study? And I was like, I don't know, but I got to stop drinking. And she was like, oh, Emma. And then... <laughs> Emma, stop looking at porn on my computer. It's weird. <laughs> I got caught looking at porn on her computer right around when I graduated. Not in real time, but like the next, the day after graduation, she was like, I think your sister looked at porn on my computer last night. I was thinking it was you, but it was straight porn, so it has to be your sister. And she was like, it's weird. She did that the night of your graduation. She wasn't even here. She must have snuck in, watched porn, left. It's crazy. And I was like... So we were still going over that when I <laughs> when I got to the graduation she was like stuck on like what happened. <laughs> but oh what was she she came to a show in Tampa which was a really nice moment for us because she hadn't been to a show where like people had come out and bought tickets for it and that was really nice. And she was so like she was like what are these people doing? Who are these people? <laughs> And I was like, Shh, you know, we've got to act like this is normal. And she was like, okay, but who are these? And she was like, she was like, I asked people in the bathroom. I said, I'm Emma's mother, so that's why I'm here. Who are you? <laughs> and I was like, well, don't do that. And, but she got a real kick out of it. It was, it was like a cute moment. It was a nice moment for us. And now she, she's in, uh, she's in Florida, and uh, she, 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 she's, she, I'd say she's pretty stressed out. She'll start doing a workout class three days a week, and she's pretty happy with that. No, pretty good. Kind of same old, same old, but she seems like a little bit happier, and I don't know what the deal is with that, but God bless, you know. Thank you. Last question. Are you happy? I'm pretty, you know, I'm not bad. You know, I am proud of myself for not, like, I'm proud of myself. Yeah, I am. I, you know, that therapist that called out the, uh, the life coach, the one, that therapist, she said, she was like, people are trying to be happy, and I'm paraphrasing, but she was like, people try to be happy all the time, but what we should go for is more like contentment. Because if you try to be happy all the time, you're going to be sad. And I remember when she said that, I was like, true. <laughs> so it's like, when I try to be happy all the time, that's a little bit scary too, because then I'm like trying to feel good all the time. We can't feel good all the time. We got to drink our water. We got to try to... Sleep. We gotta remember to take our fucking magnesium. Do the dishes. So, am I happy all the time? No, but that's good because I'm not supposed to be. But I'm more content than I've been before. Emma yeah. Wilman. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys for coming out. So that was Emma. Thanks to her for coming along. Uh, I had so much fun meeting her and uh, enjoying her work, and I really enjoyed that conversation. You can find her IamEmmaWilman.com or at IamEmmaWilman, unless you're on Instagram, in which case she is simply at Emma Wilman.
That was not easy to say. Um, you can support the show at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders or go to stuartgoldsmith.com to find out everything you need to find about me, including that clever little Linktree thing that tells you when my previews are coming up. I'm previewing at Top Secret in London. I'm going to be at the Mac Comedy Festival. I presume that's sold out now. It was very close recently. I'm also going to be in London, Leicester, Leeds, Northampton and Cardiff and other places besides, adding more as we go. Um, that'll do for now thanks to Emma thanks to Nathan uh, for producing the show thanks to Moz lots of love to Moz uh, for doing some great sterling work under duress not under duress under hardship and also under duress I'm cracking the whip at Moz um, and uh, thanks to you for listening and sharing the show and following it and promoting it and you know telling people about it using words in ears thank you uh, that'll do I'm off goodbye that goodbye was weird wasn't it why did I shout goodbye at you Ooh, bye <laughs>